0: Three ten. by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land ...living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Amen. This is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. And our Lord and our God, we pray that you would grant us the spirit of wisdom... And knowledge in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would know the hope to which you have called us uh, in Him. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A Christian minister named Mark Ashton, vicar of St. Andrew the Great in Cambridge, he died on Easter Sunday 2010. He uh, was 62 years old he wrote some words to his congregation uh, the previous easter in 2009 and this is what he wrote to his church family i have a life expectancy of between one and two years i'm sorry for the pain and inconvenience that my death may cause and i have great sorrow at the breaking of so many precious human relationships but behind all the relations of relationships of my life stands one relationship it is the relationship with god which has given me all my other relationships the prospect of losing them for the sake of seeing him is one that fills me with longing My family's real need is for your faith more than your sympathy. Please believe for us that the gospel is true and that I really have received the sentence of life and not death. Something that is a beginning and not an end. How did he face the prospect of death? He was fixing his eyes on Jesus, on a greater hope. Than what this world offers. This is how we are called to live. This is the life that Abraham lived. By faith. And so I want you to think about this faith. And the faith of Abraham here from the passage. And I want to do it in three parts. Verse 8. I want you to see that he left. By faith he left. Verse 9. By faith how he lived. And verse 10. By faith what he longed for. Verse 8. He left look at the words again by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he went by faith he obeyed and the historical context here is as you may recall even from our study lately in Genesis chapter 12 Genesis 12 verses 1 to 4 there Uh, The Lord spoke to Abraham saying, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then in verses two and three, he gives them all these great and precious and amazing promises. And at verse four in Genesis 12, it says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. The Lord said, I want you to go. I want you to leave what represents security for you. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your home, your family. And he didn't really know where he was going to go when he left. But he obeyed and he went. Now you remember that before God called Abram, he lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees in ancient Mesopotamia somewhere today near where Iraq and eastern Syria are it was a very culturally advanced community of its own day between the Tigris and the Euphrates river this is where he went from abraham there was a pagan in a pagan city descended from a line of idolaters and he was a rich man based on excavations of archaeological sites from that period it is very likely i mean the Where he came from, these are not poor nomads. He likely lived in a double-story house with a lobby courtyard kitchens, bathroom, bedrooms, and reception rooms. He lived in a culture where there was trade, literature, mathematics, and astronomy highly developed. So that when God called him to leave his family and his culture, he called him to leave something that was very precious to him. It was a big call. And notice that it wasn't his idea. He didn't call himself to go to Canaan. He wasn't following his own dream or ambition. He was following God's call. God's call was primary. His obedience was a response. And that's the emphasis of the writer. That saving faith is accompanied by obedience to God's command. It believes God's promises. And it obeys God's command. That's what true saving faith does. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone, as others have put it. By its very nature, it results in obedience. He wasn't saved by his obedience. Genesis 15, he believed and he was declared righteous. Righteous. He was an idolater when God found him, and then God graced him and brought him, and obedience then flowed like, as Calvin says, water from a fountain. Or as A.W. Pink says, obedience is faith's daughter. Now, the writer here I think is showing you parts of his obedience here. It was both demanding and it was undetailed, that which to which he was called. Uh, it was demanding. In in principle, this call is the same principle Jesus puts on his disciples. Now, he uses different language and in a different context. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 38. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me, is not worthy of me. In other words, Jesus demands our supreme affections. That's what he said to Abraham. I want you to leave everything and go where I tell you to go. P.T. Forsyth was right when he said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but it's master. Who tells you what to do? Saving faith says to Jesus, I will go where you want me to go. I will be what you want me to be. I will do what you want me to do. Help me, Lord. Jesus here, when he speaks of of, of, uh, not loving father and mother... Uh, more than him he's, he's not calling us to despise our families in any way the bible commands us to honor our parents and to love our families don't misunderstand but he did mean that if our closest loved ones stand between us and him our choice is clear we must follow him we must love him above all others sometimes sometimes even in christian homes where the gospel is believed we face uh, kids face the kind of subtle pressure or even direct pressure from parents not to follow Christ fully. Sometimes, very well-meaning and intentioned parents put uh, undue pressure on their children because parents want to live near their kids and they want to live near their grandkids, usually. And and sometimes, uh, sometimes this children of parents we have to follow where the Lord leads us and that doesn't necessarily mean uh, living close to home God spoke to Abraham and Abraham listened God promised and Abraham believed and God commanded and he obeyed and so he went out now it was a demanding call but notice it was lacking in detail God didn't tell him where he was going to go when he called out not Exactly. He didn't know where he was going to go. And that may be true likewise of you as a son or daughter of Abraham. You call upon Jesus for salvation. You submit yourself to his lordship. You have no idea when you start that journey of faith where he's going to take you in life. Some of you never imagined you would ever fly over or drive through the great state of Arkansas, and yet here you are. Some of you never imagined you'd be at a Redeemer Presbyterian church. Whatever that means, and you don't have to be Presbyterian to be at Redeemer. We're glad that you're here, whether you are or you're not. But you understand that, the, the journey is, is so open-ended. It's, it's so uncertain. You don't know what the Lord is going to do with you in the future. Cory Tenboom says never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I want to pause here. I was listening to Alistair Begg preach on this text. And uh, he mentioned uh, different missionaries. But but uh, there's a. I want to make two applications. One from Alistair Begg that he made to those who think they might want to pursue ministry, feel called by God to go in service of him in ways that maybe it's somewhat parallel to Abraham. And I don't want to make an application to every one of us. Uh, it, it could be that some of you hope to be the next Mirabella family that went to Japan or the Tigreen family that went to Turkey or you have uh, hopes and dreams that one day you can be the, the one who brings the gospel to Cuba or to China or you want to be the next preacher. And uh, for some of you, uh, your daily routine has made you simply tired of, of uh, life and you want to do something more uh, for God. And it's not wrong to want to do something more for God, but what I would want to say is this. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you about that. It's important that we check in with the Lord's church because the church is by God designed to care for us and is responsible for our souls not every instinct in our heart uh, should be pursued and sometimes they can get us into deep trouble and this is where Alistair Begg tells the story of the girl who came to him and she said I'm going to Australia and he's and he, and he said to her when are you going and she said I don't know why are you going she said because God told me to how did he tell you he said she said I just have a feeling in my stomach well okay he said what did you have for dinner he goes on to say she didn't think that was very spiritual but he says and I agree with him and that's why I'm sharing it it's actually a good question because we don't make dramatic moves in our lives because of something going on you know, behind our solar plexus or because we have some glandular condition or because of the burrito we ate. Abraham's move, leaving all that behind was preceded by the very clear and direct call of God to him, a clear revelation from God of the unfolding purposes of God. And and this was clearly the will of God for him. And Uh, We, fortunately, are not in the position of Abraham. Abraham didn't have a church. He wasn't raised in a community of faith. He's the head of the household, so to speak. God in the economy of the local church, however, um, has given us more than Abraham had. He's, He's put us in a place where we have shepherds who can help us. We have friends who can love us. Others who can help affirm our calling. Uh, before we sort of get on a flight and just go as my old pastor would say some of you heard him say it many times about some ministers they weren't called they just went and uh, we don't want to do that Abraham was called and so he went and I'm simply saying the church can help us figure out whether we're called and if we should go that way We have the confirmation of what we feel internally through the external uh, means that God has given us in the body of Christ. And so that's if if you're thinking about full-time vocational ministry, I'd love to talk with you and pray with you and think about those things with you as I know our elders would and your friends here in the church would. But for all of us, remember, Abraham's example of faith is for all of us and not just for... Those who are what we might think of as uh, unique, uh, and Hebrews eleven uh, here uh, is not calling uh, all of us to follow in his footsteps in the sense of that we're not called to go to Israel and and start a settlement. We we're not being called to leave our own land and never live in a house, but wander in uh, Israel in the Middle East. Just as we said in verse seven. Noah was called to build an ark but but having faith like Noah doesn't mean we're called to build an ark we are however like Noah to be warned and receive the warning of God's judgment as well as embrace what God has provided for deliverance so likewise with Abraham we are called all of us to obey God's revealed will what is that? Jesus said if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, do what I tell you to do. Do what I've revealed to you to do. And we could go lots of places for what that will is. We could go right to the Ten Commandments, which is a ten-point summary of the revealed will of God to you for how you should love God and love others. We could go to Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. We don't have to go to Zimbabwe to love and obey Jesus. Ephesians 4, in a nutshell, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, Paul says. Bear with one another in love. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And he goes on to talk about the Ten Commandments. And he says, basically, you need to learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Love righteousness and hate wickedness. In chapter 5, he says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love, he says. And then he says, walk in the light. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to talk about our relationships. What does it mean to have saving faith in Jesus? It is to obey him about his revealed will. What does that look like relationally? In Ephesians 5, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Not just anybody, but submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for. Chapter 6. Children. What should you do? Obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers. What should you do? Do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and nurture of the Lord. How should you fight the spiritual battle? Your war on this world is not against flesh and blood. People are not your enemy. But be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we could go on. The point is this, you and I have so much more clear revelation of the will of God for us than Abraham had. He had very little, but some precious promises and a command to go. And he obeyed because that's what saving faith does. So, Saving faith in us is to be productive of obedience to the revealed will of God as well. So, that's the first point. It's the longest one. He obeyed. He left. Second point. How did he live? He didn't get too settled down on earth. Notice verse 9. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. This is, interestingly enough, the only verse in the Bible that refers to Canaan as the promised land. The irony is, Abraham, the heir to the promised land, never owned a single foot of it until at the very end he had to buy, paying full purchase price. A plot of land to bury his beloved wife Sarah. That's all he ever owned. The writer here mentions Isaac and Jacob. They had this promise that they were going to live in the land of Canaan. And yet it remained in the Canaanites' hands their entire lives. They kept on living in tents. Decade after decade. They never owned land in the promised land. It was a kind of... Unexciting and impermanent life in a lot of ways. Let me point you to these things. I mean, imagine decade after decade after decade of being a foreigner where you don't even own the ground under your feet, and you live in a tent. What would that life be like? A lot of believing life lived for months and years and day after day in a very ordinary what we would consider a rough kind of ordinary life. Uh, Not very exceptional, not a lot of miracles. God didn't come and speak to him every day of the week. How do you live in a tent by faith? What would you do? You set up a tent when you get to a new place. You cook meals, you gather firewood, you perform veterinary service on the animals that you own, you raise families, you bury Parents, you watch your teeth decay and you feel arthritis set in as you grow old. Regular stuff, year after year, day after day. Wear and tear over time can make your hope grow dim. Just going on in faith, but not seeing, not seeing what has been promised to you. Which is how he lived. Can you stand that kind of life? Can you live that way before God? Can you take that kind of Christian experience if that's what God gives to you in your life? And uh, frankly, I think a lot of us have trouble with that. because. I mean, we live in an entertainment culture where we expect to be able to turn on some device and be instantly gratified, instantly tickled, instantly entertained, where, where we can see things or experience things that are extraordinary or unique or amazing or exotic, exciting. And when the church embraces that kind of culture, it's always dangerous that thinking, as so often in the American church does, that what we really need is to entertain people. So we've got to pitch the experience to people, right? The problem is the Christian life isn't actually that way. It's just a whole lot of living in this life. Living life. Uh, reformed uh, church in America, an old RCA pastor. I'm not sure he's with them anymore. Uh, he, was a, he, was, um, he, was, he was a guy who was saying, If you want to try to attract people, give them pizzazz. All you have to do is preach in your underwear. <laughs> Not a lot of pizzazz of that up here, but maybe for some it would be. The problem is, what do you do the next Sunday? You can't keep on doing that and have it be pizzazz. And the Christian life isn't that way. And so with... Um, With us, I think there's always a temptation um, to feel like, uh, well, sometimes we think, uh, well, let me put it this way. Our big problem is not that we're going to die in our sleep and not wake up tomorrow. Our big problem is that for most of us, we're going to wake up tomorrow. And tomorrow is going to be a lot like today and yesterday and the day before day after day week after week month after month can you handle that Abraham living as a foreigner in tents for decades in the promised land which he never owned he lived as a nomad so there's a kind of ordinariness and yet there's a, there was this impermanence to it of course he lived in a tent he didn't have walls and a roof uh, made out of stone or brick I wonder if you've ever been a uh, tent camping and I, I don't mean in these in these really amazing hundreds of dollars new tents that just like you just pull them out of a sack and they pop open and everything works right but I'm talking about the old kind of tents uh you know, where you had to like drive stakes deep into the ground and then you had to hang the tent curtains around and you were told don't touch the canvas because you'll cause it to leak if it rains and, and you, know, you, you got it all set up and then you went hiking or fishing or boating and you came back but a wind had come and it simply blown your tent wrapping it around a tree and where you slept and that rain did drip all night long onto your face or your sleeping bag or, or it's soaked in from underneath the sides of the tent or, or some animal got into your cooler because you didn't hang it from a tree because who knew that's what you're supposed to do. I wonder if some of you have been tenting like that. Melinda and I have a favorite kind of getaway camping that we do. Some of you know this. When we can, we sneak away. It's a condo in Branson that we use... <laughs> We use credit card reward points to purchase. It has a full kitchen with granite countertops. It's got a refrigerator and air conditioning and a fireplace for ambiance, which you can run at the same time as the air conditioning because you don't own it. You're not paying for it. And and it's got a king-size pillow-top mattress, and it looks out over that lake there. It's got a... It's got a coffee pot that I grind beans for. I mean, it's just all the comforts of home, in in some ways, nicer than home, right? I mean, there's maid service and everything else. That's that's our kind of tent camping. Uh, But Abraham didn't have anything like that. Not where he lived. Not for the rest of his life. And Abraham reminds us that this world is not our home. We are just passing through. We don't belong here. And so we shouldn't get too settled down here. Must we then live in tents? Do we have to be homeless? Do we always have to rent and never own property? No. I mean, yes, Jesus himself had no place to lay his head. But Jesus was also often in the home of his friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and other friends as well. It's not the walls and the roof. It's how attached to them you are. Mark Ashton, that pastor I died, who died on Easter Sunday, as he died, he murmured two words. He said, soon, home. Abraham, like that pastor, looked ahead to the home that God had provided for him. And so we should live loose to the things of this world. It's part of being a pilgrim who doesn't really belong here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Not in the kingdoms of this world. Jeremiah Burroughs says this a little in the world will content a Christian for his passage, but all the world and 10,000 times more will not content a Christian for his portion. We're looking for a whole lot more than what we can get here. And so I ask you is your heart too attached? to this world and the stuff in it. Abraham lived loose to this world. How did he go on living as a foreigner and intense? Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. This is our last point. By faith, Abraham not only left and obeyed because God called him and not only lived loose to this world, but Abraham longed for a different homeland he had a hope and his eyes as he lived in those tents were fastened on a city a city not the one lot chose he chose poorly but a city with foundations It's a city we read of that John saw a vision of in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And just to hear a portion of it in Revelation 21, it says, uh, verse 11, He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verse 23, and the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. Chapter 22, verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need of a lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Abraham looked forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer, architect, builder is God himself. The land was never the full or final realization of the promise, and it was never intended to be. It was only an earthly picture of a heavenly promise, in an eternal city. And we will live there face to face. And so you can see why this would be such an encouragement to the first hearers. You know, those early Jewish Christians, as we said, who who were in that ancient land, but had come to believe in the Messiah promised to that ancient people living in that ancient land. And here they are as they look around. They're a minority again. Their possessions are being plundered. Some of them are being imprisoned. They're being mocked. Their Jewish acquaintances tell them that they they've abandoned the faith of their father, Abraham. That's what they say, and they followed some sort of myth? And here's the writer of Hebrews saying, you are called to believe in Jesus amidst a world that rejects him just like Abraham he was a citizen of a heavenly country and a stranger here he was looking to the eternal city not a plot of ground on this earth what are you looking to and living for are you rooted in this life or are you rooted already in the next That's the kind of faith Abraham had. May we have it too. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks uh, that this world is not all there is, that there is life with you where there is joy and pleasure forevermore at your right hand, where we uh, walk, Uh, streets of gold uh, in a resurrected body and a soul made perfect in righteousness in days unending in a permanent place of joy and I pray that hope would carry us through this world in Jesus name amen